Section one of a brief history of forestry by Bernard Fernau. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Introductory The value of studying the historical development of an economic subject or of a technical art which, like forestry, relies to a large extent upon empiricism, lies in the fact that it brings before us, in proper perspective, accumulated experience, and enables us to analyze cause and effect, whereby we may learn to appreciate the reasons for present conditions and the possibilities for rational advancement. If there be one philosophy more readily derivable than another from the study of the history of forestry, it is that history repeats itself. The same policies and the same methods which we hear propounded today have at some other time been propounded and tried elsewhere. We can study the results, broadening our judgment and thereby avoid the mistakes of others. Nowhere is the record of experience and the historic method of study of more value than in an empiric art like forestry, in which it takes decades, a lifetime, nay, a century, to see the final effects of operations. Such study, if properly pursued, tends to free the mind from many foolish prejudices, and particularly from an unreasonable partiality for our own country and its customs and methods, merely because they are our own, substituting the proper patriotism, which applies the best knowledge wherever found to our own necessities. Forestry is an art born of necessity, as opposed to arts of convenience and of pleasure. Only when a reduction in the natural supplies of forest products, under the demands of civilization, necessitates a husbanding of supplies or necessitates the application of art or skill or knowledge in securing a reproduction, or when unfavorable conditions of soil or climate induced by forest destruction make themselves felt does the art of forestry make its appearance hence its beginnings occur in different places at different times and its development proceeds at different paces in the one country owing to economic development the need of an intensive forest management and of strict forest policies may have arrived while in another rough exploitation and wasteful practices are still natural and practically unavoidable. And such differences, as we shall see, may even exist in the different parts of the same country. The origin and growth of the art, then, is dependent on economic and cultural conditions, on various economic development, and on elements of environment. The development of the art can only be understood and appreciated through the knowledge of such environment, of such other developments as of agriculture, of industries, of means of transportation, of civilization generally. Hence we find, for instance, that England, located so as to be accessible by sea from all points of the compass, and within oceanic shipping well developed, can apparently dispense with serious consideration of the forest supply question. Again, we find that more than a century ago fear of a timber famine agitated not only the dense populations of many European countries, but even the scanty population of the United States. 
in spite of the natural forest wealth which is still supplying us and not without good reason for at that time wood was the only fuel and rivers the only means of transportation hence local scarcity was to be feared and was not unfrequently experienced when accessible forest areas had been exploited railroad and canal development and the use of coal for fuel changed this condition on both continents now with improved means of transportation by land and by sea the questions of wood supply and of forestry development which at one time were of very local concern have become world questions and he who proposes to discuss intelligently forest conditions and forestry movement in one country must understand what is going on in other countries as will appear from the study of the following pages with the exception of some parts of central europe or of some sporadic attempts elsewhere to regulate forest use the development of the forestry idea belongs essentially to the nineteenth century and more especially to the second half when the rapid development of railroads had narrowed the world and the remarkable development of industries and material civilization called for increased draft on forest resources yet we are still largely ignorant as to the extent of available forest area not only in this country but elsewhere we do not know whether it be sufficient in extent and yield to furnish a continuous supply for the needs of our civilization or if not for how long a time it will suffice we can only make very broad statements as to questions of wood supply and very broad inferences from them as argument for the need of a closer study of forest conditions and of the practice of forestry one practically the northern temperate zone alone produces the kinds of wood which enter most largely into our economy namely the soft conifers and the medium hardwoods most of the woods of the tropics are very hard fit primarily for ornamental use and hence less necessary possibly a change in the methods of the use of wood may also change the relative economic values but at present the vast forests of the tropical countries are of relatively little importance in the discussion of wood supply for the world two the productive forest area of the temperate zone in which the industrial nations are located has continuously decreased we shall not be far from wrong in stating this area liberally to be at present around two thousand five hundred million acres note the total forest area of the world is supposed to be three thousand eight hundred million acres namely in europe eight hundred million acres in asia eight hundred million acres in north america nine hundred million acres how much of this acreage contains available virgin timber how much is merely potential forest how much growing crop it is impossible to state number three the civilized wood consuming population of this territory is about five hundred million hence the per capita acreage is still five acres taking the european countries which now have to import all or part of their consumption excess over exports we find that their population is estimated at one hundred and eighty million and that they use thirty cubic feet of wood per capita 
of which 12 cubic feet is log timber, or, altogether, they use 2,200 million cubic feet of this latter description, of which they import in round numbers 1,000 million, at a cost of about $250 million, their forest acreage of 100 million acres being insufficient to produce, even under careful management as in Germany, more than two-thirds of their needs, and the wood consumption in all these nations is growing at the rate of one and a half to two percent annually. 4. The deficiency is at present supplied by the export countries, Russia, Sweden, Norway, Austria-Hungary, Canada, and United States, and these countries themselves, also increasing their consumption, are beginning to feel the drain on their forest resources, which are, for the most part, merely roughly exploited. 5. If we assume a log-timber requirement by the 500 million people of 6,000 million cubic feet, and could secure what France annually produces, namely a little less than nine cubic feet of such timber per acre, the area supposed to be under forest would amply suffice. But a large part of it is in fact withdrawn from useful production, and of the balance not more than 250 million acres at best, are as yet under management for continuous production. Hence, attention to forestry is an urgent necessity for every industrial nation. The history of the forest in all forest countries shows the same periods of development. First, hardly recognized as of value or even as personal property, the forest appears an undesirable encumbrance of the soil, and the attitude of the settler is of necessity inimical to the forest. The need for farm and pasture leads to forest destruction. The next stage is that of restriction in forest use and protection against cattle and fire, the stage of conservative lumbering. Then come positive efforts to secure regrowth by fostering natural regeneration or by artificial planting. The practice of silviculture begins. Finally, a management for continuity, organizing existing forest areas for sustained yield, forest economy is introduced. That the time and progress of these stages of development and the methods of their inauguration vary in different parts of the world is readily understood from the intimate relation which, as has been pointed out, this economic subject bears to all other economic as well as political developments. At the present time, we find all the European nations practicing forestry, although with a very varying degree of intensity. The greatest and most universal development of the art is for good reasons to be found in Germany and its nearest neighbors. Early attention in forest conservancy was here, induced by density of population, which enforces intensity in the use of soil, and by the comparative difficulty of securing wood supplies cheaply enough from outside. On the other hand, such countries as the Mediterranean peninsulas, by their advantageous situation with reference to importations, with their mild climate and less intensive industrial development, have felt this need less. Again, the still poorly settled and originally heavily timbered countries of the Scandinavian peninsula, 
and the vast empire of russia are still heavy exploiters of forest products and are only just beginning to feel the drain on their forest resources while the united states with as much forest wealth as russia but with a much more intensive industrial development has managed to reach the stage of need for a conservative forest policy in a shorter time from each of the european countries we learn something helpful towards inaugurating such policies and while owing to a different historical background and to different political and social conditions none of their administrative methods and measures may appeal to us the principles underlying them as well as those underlying their silvicultural methods remain the same they are applicable everywhere and can best be recognized and studied in the history of their development end of section one recording by john van stan savannah georgia